I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is award-winning actress Marilee Talkington. We're going to be talking about her new show, C. A lifelong advocate and a voice for other actors that are also visually impaired, Marilee Talkington will be lighting up television sets alongside Jason Momoa, Game of Thrones, Aquaman, and Apple TV's upcoming futuristic post-apocalyptic drama C, which premieres Friday, November 1st. Legally blind herself, Marilee will be playing more than just a role in a show, but a pivotal role in the fight for authentic casting and representation. Born with cone rod dystrophy, a retinal disease she had inherited from her mother, she had no central vision and learned not just to survive, but to thrive. While studying psychology, she took an acting class on a whim and fell in love immediately. Since then, she has starred in NBC's New Amsterdam, CBS's NCIS, and countless theater productions, both off-Broadway and regional. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Marilee. Thank you. Good morning. I'm happy to be here. I want to start with, you know, as I said in in, in my opening, uh, you pay, play a pivotal role in the fight for authentic casting and representation. What exactly does that mean? What does it mean? It means that, you know, it means that since the beginning of my career, um, I have had to be an advocate, mostly for myself, because as a legally blind person, there have been no role models. Um, I've never seen anybody on stage, on screen like me, the exclusion has been uh, extreme. And so when you go into rooms um, as a disabled person, often you're having to educate as well as act. You know, we often just want to go into the room and just be an artist, but you have to educate, you have to advocate. And as I started getting onto larger stages and gaining more visibility, um, I realized that I needed to use my voice in larger ways. Uh, not just for myself, but for those around me and hopefully for those that are coming behind me. So in terms of of, of Hollywood in particular, um, our uh, representation is so, so small. I actually, I actually ran the numbers yesterday because there's stats out about this and we're actually, um, uh, able-bodied actors are a thousand times more represented than disabled actors on screen. So speaking up and saying, look, we are creative uh, contributors. We have creative radiance and, and power and purpose, and we should be up there speaking for ourselves and shining that light. So that's, that's kind of what that means. I mean, as a, a, I'm part of so many organizations that I could go into, but um, that's, I would say that's the foundation of it. Okay, so that's the foundation of it. And you just mentioned, for those of us or for the who don't know, we talk about being blind, but then you mentioned, you said legally blind. So what's the difference between legally blind and blind? Right. So, so blindness is a huge spectrum, right? Everybody thinks either you can see or you're totally blind. But there is this enormous spectrum in between, and it's not even just linear. It's not just like things get blurry and then you go blind. Uh, For me personally, I have no central vision. I was born with no, um, the central is the straight ahead vision. So I've never had that. I've only had peripheral vision and that sort of has gotten gotten blurrier over time. Um, As I've gotten older in the past 
15 years, if there's too much light, then I'm totally blind. Suddenly, I see nothing. Um, sometimes people will see double, triple. I'll see double or triple. Sometimes people's eyes shake. Sometimes they're, they are almost totally blind, but they have a little bit of light perception. But in terms of your question, what is legal blindness? What is that definition? It basically means that with corrected vision, I cannot see better than 2200. That's the legal definition. Now I see my vision. I don't, I don't even think it's on the charts anymore, but that's the legal definition of legally blind. So that's, that's how I use it because I'm not totally blind. So that's what makes sense. Yes, that does make sense. And so I'm thinking about you. Mm-hmm. You said that, you know, you just had, you, you, you just have peripheral vision, I guess is what you're saying. And mm-hmm. that's what you've had since you were born. And as we said in the beginning, an inherited disease from your mother. Do you compensate mm-hmm. for that? I mean, to automatically compensate for that? Like say, as, as a, as a child, as, you know, as you're growing, um, or, or I'm just curious as how that, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, that is such a, that's a great question. You know, um, it's such a deep question, actually, Catherine, because some people would say, oh, my gosh, it's so terrible. It's so terrible that children are born with disabilities and blindness. And for me, I say, thank God. Thank God that I got it when I was that young because my brain, children's brains are enormously plastic. There's, there's incredible plasticity. So I grew up um, with not having central vision, but the rest of my brain started compensating for that um, in ways that I, I truly, I, I, I can't actually understand all the science behind it. But what I'll say is that I can do things um, because I've lived with this my entire life that people who suddenly have my vision now can't do. It's very difficult. Um, I mean, I, I was uh, a competitive athlete when I was younger. I was playing basketball in high school. My coaches didn't know. I didn't tell, I didn't tell them how bad my vision was, but I was an all-state basketball player, totally blind centrally, like because as a child, I was, I was adapting. I was constantly adapting to my environment, taking in cues from other places, sound, vibration, um, echolocation. Um, and to the point, too, where often, if you actually met me in person, you would probably not guess that I was legally blind. You would think I'm sighted. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that's, that happens to be my reality. So, yeah, I think children have an enormous capacity for adaptation and, and honestly, evolution. I think it's, I, honestly, I think my brain is actually more evolved than most because of, of what I was born with. So, Marilee, so you mentioned, you said that your coach, this is you're already talking about when you're in college, doesn't, or your high school, yeah. doesn't realize that you're, that you have this disability, I'm going to say, or this, this uh, type yeah. of blindness. Did that, also translate to other people that you hid it from your teachers or were you constantly, Mm. I I use the word hiding or, I mean, you were compensating, adapting, doing all these uh, very positive kinds of things, I imagine emotionally, physically, but did did you have to hide? I mean, were you hiding from your friends? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, and I love that, that, 
look, disability, I use that word, but I use it very thoughtfully. And I'll get back to your hiding question in a second, but I use it in a very thoughtful way because for me, when I say I have a disability or I am disabled, it's not because me, my person, my soul is disabled. It's because the world around me has all these limiting beliefs that have manifested in barriers that disable me from accessing things. That's how I use the word. So it's less about who I am, and it's more about the culture and this this soup that we all swim in about um, people with disabilities being less than, being worthless, being subpar, being needed to be fixed or altered in some way. So, you know... (laughs) The hiding is very interesting because in fifth grade, God, I was so young, um, my mother, with my vision, most people will look to the side. They won't actually make eye contact. They'll look to the side so they can actually see you in in their peripheral vision. My mother uh, basically sat me down and had the talk with me. And she said, look, I'm not going to tell you what to do here, but you have a choice. You can either choose to look at people the way you need to look at them so that you can get visual information about them, which is using my peripheral vision, or you can teach yourself to look at people and and make quote-unquote eye contact, even though you can't see them. If you choose to look at people the way you need to look at them, they will know and you will be treated differently. That's how our world works. If you choose to learn how to look people in the eyes, you will fit in. And as a child, um, I wanted to fit in. So I taught myself how to make eye contact. And um, I still do. It's part of my muscle. It's, it's just muscle memory now. I almost can't, can't not do it. Um, unless, unless circumstances, my eyes are tired and, you know, I just, they just do what they need to do. But the hiding thing is quite, is quite real. And, and I still... I still experience it, actually, especially in the business that I'm in, because so many people have told me, do not tell anybody about your vision. They will not hire you. Even people who have worked with me for years and know the level of of craft that I bring to the table, the stigma is so intense. Um, So, but at the same time, I, I just have to live as well. I just have to take ownership and agency over my experience and be proud of it and say, this is who I am. So, is, Yeah, and um, this is what you've done. I mean, they may have said that and yeah. telling you you'll never get a job, but that really has not panned out. Hence, November no. 1st here <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and your new drama C. So uh, I think um, that wasn't yeah. really true. Uh, but, yeah. you know, getting back to the way you responded, and I know you work with a lot of young people and people in the business and that's you know also part of your career helping others uh with, with your i don't want to use the yeah. word disability uh, with uh you your, can you can okay it's you can yeah um and so in doing that I, what's the advice that you give let's say to other actors in your position or i'm sure that has to be part of the discussion yeah um i think about this a lot because in the position, especially when I, when I started doing television, which made me extremely um, visible in the blind and disabled community. So I was um, uh, being reached out to from people across the world, actually. And 
I think about what what is it that I can offer because this being a, following a um, an artist's path is not easy for anybody. But when you have a disability, it's really hard. You are coming up against stigma after stigma and and you know barrier after barrier. How do you keep going? And one of the things that I live by is that if the world does not have a vision for you that's large enough, you have to create that vision for yourself. And you have to make that vision so large that it, 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 it almost bursts your heart open. And then you have to go, go after it with everything that you have. And you, not, you do not wait for the world to catch up to what you know is true about yourself already which is that you are here for a reason. You have creative gifts and talents and capacities that are uniquely yours and that you as one person can have an impact in this world. So that's the big thing that I say is that don't wait. Don't wait for others to change their minds. Be that and then go. And people will change their minds as they watch you go. What let's in, a, in that yeah mm-hmm. in that context, um, and we're talking about your particular blindness. How does that compare yeah. with actors and actresses who are who can't who are hearing impaired? There are other uh, lots of different kinds of disabilities that people yeah, that, so yeah. and uh, maybe talk really focus in on the uh, on in your industry in acting and theater and film and that kind of. I mean, is there a, a yeah. difference? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's uh, huge similarities. Like, you know, it, it's interesting because it's the deaf don't most deaf don't consider themselves disabled. They consider it a, a um, linguistic. They just have different linguistics. Um, um, so it's deaf and dis- disabled. But the stigmas around disability are 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 across the board. I will say the stigma against blind is more intense. Um, it's you know, research has been done that the greatest fear that people have above anything else is to go blind. Um, so even in terms of disability, we are um, we're the least represented. Uh, and in terms of like training programs, you barely see any of us in training programs because teachers are so afraid to uh, they don't they don't know how to work with blind blind folks. Um, I think some of it comes down to laziness, to be frank, um, because there's there's ways to innovate any exercise, but 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 disabled but but blind folks even in the United States have the highest unemployment rate of of any other uh, minority group, and it's not because we don't have capacity. Of course we do. It's because the world around us has been created in such a way that has created barriers for us to access work, to access education, to access reading, to access all these things. So that's, you know, that's equally true in the industry. Um, But I am part of several organizations that are intersectional. So I work not just for, you know, my community, the blind and low vision, but I'm working with some incredible artists with disabilities that have disabilities that are across the board, that, that are deaf, that have limb difference, that are neurodiverse, that have um, cognitive disabilities, that have mobility disabilities, CP, like there, 
are some ferocious artists out there and we get together and we talk a lot and we try to make change a lot. And it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing um, fight. I don't usually like that word, but it's an ongoing um, <laughs> challenge. Challenge. So, it's an ongoing challenge. Well, you know, yeah. as you're talking, I'm thinking about uh, and a couple of months ago, I had seen the show and obviously you're aware of this, but on Broadway, the, the lead is in, in, in a wheelchair. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, one of the the most Alex. popular. Yeah. No, please. Sorry, keep going. Well, I was thinking about it because they have two two leads. One is one of the actresses is in a wheelchair, and the other, and they alternate, I guess, uh, is is black, and um, and mm-hmm. and so I was thinking about the differences and. Um, I have a son who's who, who's a, a filmmaker, and he was saying not only let the, the person who's in the wheelchair uh, has to adapt, but the whole co- choreography is different. It's different for the entire cast, for instance. So you're actually doing two different shows, you know, for the two different actresses, um, which I hadn't really thought about, I guess. But um, it I just reminded me when you're talking about the outside world adapting and needing to adapt um, to accommodate and to be able to um, so that we can have all of this talent. So th- that was what came to mind, this actress who's in, in, in yeah. Oklahoma. Yeah. You know, I love that you brought this up because this is, this is where we push out of, or it, it, you know, um, I think about this a lot um, is that we, it's not just about accommodating and it's ad- and adaptation. It's about evolution. It's a much better It's about word. breaking yeah. Yes, it's about breaking the status quo and the default way of, of the way we've been doing things forever. It's about um, creating and innovating a new aesthetic design that integrates the full experience of human beings across the board. That is evolution. That is, that's not just like, okay, let's tack on this and that so we can have this person in the room doing their art. Let's rethink the whole system so that it can, it can cradle and carry the complexity of the human experience. That's, that's where I'm interested um, in, in pushing towards and talking about. So I'm so glad you brought that up because that's what Oklahoma is doing. They've, they're innovating. They're not just accommodating. It's great. And when you say awesome. innovating, that is so true because seeing the show it brings up. It's not as you're. You're absolutely right. It's not adapting. There's a whole new show there that you see. There are whole new experiences, new emotions that the audience is tuned into that you don't have if you just have the regular cast. You know the traditional yeah. Oklahoma cast. So you're opening up all kinds of new experiences. Obviously, not only for the actress but for the whole audience. And at least that. Yeah. That, that is what I felt when I saw the show. That's it. I I love this, Catherine. I love that you're saying this because I think there's this illusion that um, when you include folks with disabilities, it, it makes the art suffer. And it's such a lie. It's such a lie. Actually, when you innovate new ways, what ends up happening for the audience is that they find new things in themselves, new ways of experiencing things that they've never had before. It actually cracks it open and makes the art better and wider and more dimensional and more exciting. So um, I, I just, I love that you had that experience. Yeah. That's wonderful. 
And I assume, I'm, I'm making the assumption, obviously, that is your goal and, and working with all of these uh, young people in the business. Um, just talk, we don't even have that much time left, but talk to us about the, oh. you, the I know, the move, the, um, <laughs> <laughs> you, the play Truce, because that had a, a mm. special kind of experience that you created. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Truce was, it was, it was one of those shows where I was like, nobody wants to hear about my life. And my <laughs> boyfriend at the time was like, you need to write this show. And I'm like, fine, fine, fine. So I write it, but I knew that I wanted, it couldn't just be some solo show. Cause I played, um, there was 22 characters. I played 18 of them. Um, many of them had different, uh, uh, visual impairments, blindness, but the, but the thing that was really important, I was working with a set designer named Andrew Liu and I said, I, I want to give the audience a very visceral experience of what I'm going through. Now it's not one-to-one, it's a touch, but what we decided is that through the entire show, there would be a scrim, uh, which is kind of like a, a window screen sort of, but a, t- a tighter weave that would go from floor to ceiling, wall to wall. And I would be behind that scrim for the entire show. So never throughout the show would I be clear to the audience. On top of that, we projected um, a very crude, quote unquote, blind spot, the staticky spot on the screen throughout the entire show that grew larger and larger. That was to mimic my own blind spot. And on top of that, so, so actually whenever I was behind that blind spot, the audience couldn't see me at all. They just could hear me. On top of that, the lights um, that were behind the scrim continued to grow dimmer. So throughout the show, I became less and less visible to the audience. And by the end of the show, probably the last 10 minutes, they were just listening to me. That's it. So that kind of work, actually, which I was doing about 15 years ago, was kind of what I'm talking about now. And audiences, some audiences actually had a very difficult time with that. It really challenged them. And others were like, we've never experienced anything like this before. And that's the word that I wanted was experience. Not just we've never seen anything like this. We've never experienced something like this. And I was like, there we go. Then we crack open the human the, the, the complexity of the, an audience's experience. So um, one day I'll have to remount that. One day. I, I, I wouldn't wait too long because it seems to me this is the kind of thing and you're talking about, we've been talking a little bit about education and, and, and I mean, int- those are the kinds of things or those experiences that would seem to me that you want to introduce in schools. In, so, so kids don't have the same experience maybe you did of having to hide quite the opposite, you know, illuminate it so mm-hmm. wouldn't that be that kind of a I don't want to say exercise but the, that kind of an education yeah you know I I have been people have been encouraging me to do it again I feel like my time and energy actually right now um, doesn't seem to want to go in that direction I'm, I actually am starting a training program for blind and low vision actors and so a uh, professional actor training program. So a lot of my energy is actually going towards that right now um, and, and giving them the skill set so they can go out and create their own innovative work um, and not just watch me, which is great, but I'd rather actually pass it on to the next generation so that, that they can go change the world themselves. You know what I mean? I do, but we are going to be watching you. And since we have a few minutes left, <laughs> uh, let's talk about C. Yeah. Tell us about that because... Uh, oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, it's epic. The show is epic. It's, um, 
uh, it's set 600 years in the future, and, um, and yet is this post-apocalyptic show. The entire population has um, got a virus way back when, so the entire population is actually blind. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where that is the norm. Blindness is the normative, and then two babies are born who have sight, and fear arises because now they're the different ones. Um, and there's those that want to, uh, you know, want the babies to grow up and, and be whole humans, and there's those that do not. Um, and my particular character is somebody that's, that um, is part of Jason Momoa's village, Baba Voss's village, and um, I'm not a huge fan of Baba Voss. Um, I feel like I should have been in charge of the village, um, so I'm also not a huge fan of these babies being born. Uh, my character isn't, um, and so I'm doing a lot of fighting to regain any power that I can, that I've lost, that my family's lost, and to make sure that those babies don't don't um, thrive. That's what I'll say. So it's it's an epic, epic show that um, is is unprecedented in cinematic art and in showing so many blind characters on on screen at once. Yeah, I watched the trailer. Um, it, it looks great. But I also, I guess, my last question would be: so the biggest challenge to this role, what was it? What is it? Oh gosh. If I'm absolutely truthful, the biggest challenge is not seeing more blind actors on set. That was the biggest challenge. Um, because the role itself is so delicious and juicy and I got to dive deeply into it. But the biggest challenge was not seeing my, my disabled siblings. Um, in the cast were speckled throughout that were not the norm. And I had to make sure that every single day I went in with a full heart, knowing that I wished the industry was further along. I wished we were more evolved, but we're not at this moment in time. And my job, one of my jobs on set is to make sure that the work that I do is one, um, thorough and at a level of excellence that I can be proud of as an artist, but also that hopefully will be undeniable to those that watch so that whatever stigmas there are around hiring blind actors can dissolve and that well, the doors behind me that have remained shut for so long will open and many more of us will come in. Well, it's uh, after this conversation with you, I'm sure that's going to happen, and and mm. obviously because of you. Uh, website that we can go mm. to. We have 30 seconds left. Um, yeah, MerrilyTalkington.com. You can go to MerrilyTalkington.com. I'm rebuilding the website right now. I'm also on Instagram, N-A-N Artist Warrior, um, and I'm on Facebook, Merrily Talkington Great. on Facebook. Come Thank visit. You. Say hi. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Award-winning actress Marilee Talkington, uh, and her new show is C, premiering Friday, November 1st. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. so much. Bye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 